Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is... Matt Lavery, Matt Lavery. Yes, hello Matt. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> you just I'm said just about I'm answer. good. I just expected Maybe you to ask me. That might be a sign that we need to mix things up at the beginning, but we'll get the wheel spinning. <laughs> good <laughs> Oh, this wheel has been causing me all kinds of agony, you know, hauling it round, repairing it. It's a real pain, Matt. I think we can we change the format of the podcast or something? No, definitely never. All right, the topic <laughs> for this episode is one of a kind. One of a kind. One Be my first kind. time doing a one doing of a, a kind. Doing a one of a kind. So yeah, hopefully not the last. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, well, it's a one of a kind. Well, look, all right, you, you, you take it, you've put your hand up for it. I certainly have, yeah, and it's uh, a Welshman. Called Harry Owen Rowe. Have you ever heard of Mr. Harry Owen Rowe? No, it sounds like a street name. It is a street name. Is it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come to that later. Because, like, you know, sometimes you have, like, uh, different street names that normally end in avenue or street yeah. or road or court sometimes. Yeah, sometimes don't list them all. Sometimes no, Crescent. S- stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you get Rowe. Yep. Well, is, we'll it R- is it R O W? It's R O E. R O E. Oh, like the fish. Yeah. Is that like fish eggs or something? What's that? We won't get it. <laughs> Off topic. <laughs> Procrastination. We'll save that for the angling episode. Absolutely. Um, Harry Owen Rowe, uh, born in 1886. I know you love a historical character, so. We're all historical straight. characters well, in some way. So. <laughs> uh, he was, uh, yeah, born in Wales, uh, moved to Penrath as a child, which is, um, at the time, was a, a port, quite a successful uh, port in, in the United Kingdom. And he's there as a shipping clerk. Uh, he's playing rugby um, as outside half for Penrath RFC. And look, he's, he's pretty good. Um, he's getting a bit of local recognition in Wales. The Penrath Times, uh, during that period, is writing up some really lovely things about him in the, uh, in the sports reports. Um, so yeah, he's 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 a player, a rugby player of of some note. And look, at that time, that's no mean feat in Wales. Um, this is a golden time for for rugby uh, across all of Wales, but particularly in in Penrith, they're doing very well. Uh, the Welsh national side have won the triple crown six times in twelve years uh, between nineteen hundred and nineteen eleven. Um, do you know the triple crown? Or no, no. I'm not familiar with it. Might it's re- it's really hard to do. Um, that's where any of the home nations, so that would be England, Ireland, Scotland, or Wales, when they beat all three. Oh, like a hat-trick. A hat-trick, yes. Yeah, so you beat all three in, uh, of those four in the same year. So for Wales to have done that, the Wales national side did it six times in 12 years, as I say, between 1900 and 1911. You can see that they're, they're doing really, really, really well. There's a few factors in this, isn't it? Because Wales is it's a smaller country Mm. by quite a way population-wise and would have been back then uh, compared with England and, and even Scotland that would have a similar amount of population. But when you think about the Welsh, you think about two things, really. You think about great rugby players and great singers. Absolutely. And sometimes they combine. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, life in Wales back then, the big industries, mining, fishing, all the agriculture. So they make tough people yeah absolutely and you're right to say that because it's not just uh on the domestic or or sort of local uh scale where they've been really successful beating the irish scots and uh english 
they have also beaten the All Blacks from New Zealand in 1905, uh, who were basically seen as invincible, you know, unbeatable side. And um, when the All Blacks came across to Europe, uh, the the Welsh were one of the only sides, I think the only side to get a win against them. So, as I say, it's a great time for Welsh rugby. And Harry Owen Rowe is playing for Penrath and, uh, you know, making a bit of a name for himself. He's, it, you know, rugby's not professional. Um, so, as I said, he's working as a shipping clerk. And around that time, Harry becomes really good friends with a French guy called Jules Faure. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Could be Fork. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, Jules... He, he won't be listening. No, he wouldn't be, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with Jules anyway. Um, so he's another shipping clerk. But as you could probably tell by his name, he's, he's a French guy uh, from the Bayonne region, which is down in the south of France, sort of uh, near Biarritz, near the Spanish border, in the, in the Basque country, basically. So he's over living in Wales and working for the same company, doing a very similar job to Harry Owen Rowe, and they play for the same rugby team. That's quite special, isn't it? A bloke from Bayeritz. Or Bayon, I think. Or Bayon. Like, moving to Wales. Yeah, well... I mean, what what for? Well, that's it. The glamour? Well, I think he was there for the year. Um, I think the the two regions used to, to send stuff either way, so... The Bayonne region has a lot of pine wood forests um, and pine wood is really useful in mining um, because it's it's good for sort of building the props, I suppose. Yeah, to st- the structure, the yeah, tunnels exactly, yeah. to get down a mine, yeah. And this is all relevant to the story. <laughs> no, no, well, please, um, it, I don't care whether it's relevant. Just tell me more about how you get into the mine. And but but so that's fascinating. So, so they would send, the Bayonne, Bayonne region would send wood to Wales and the Welsh would send coal down to Bayonne because it was used in their iron um, for smelting the iron. So they d- so maybe there were, was people sort of going back and forth between Bayonne and Penrath yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe that's how Jules ended up living there. But look, nevertheless... Where did they get the canaries from? Norwich, probably. <laughs> but carry on. <laughs> that's awful. Um, but Jules ended up becoming a really important character in, in Harry Owen Rowe's life because in 1910... Um, the Penrath rugby side are actually invited to the south of France to play some touring games. Uh, and one of these games is against L'Aviron Bayon. It's possible a French touring side had sort of already been up to, to Wales to play Penrath beforehand. Um, but during these games, when, when Penrath go down to, to France, again, Harry Owen Rowe is, is written about in the most glowing terms in all of the newspapers. And again, he's really establishing himself as a... Shipping clerk. As a shipping (laughs) clerk and a a really strong (laughs) rugby player. Now, at this time, Bayonne is probably not a traditional rugby town. Um, Their their traditional sport is a sport called Palata. Um, And I watched some clips of this. Honestly, it looks mad. It's kind of like squash, where you're smashing this small ball against a wall, um, but it's two aside, and you kind of hit the ball, and it, it bounces back, and then you know you're trying to get your other teammate and trying to stitch so them up against the wall. So there's four people, yeah, on the court, yeah, and they're trying to like just just smash this ball against a wall. It's a bit like a game you'd play at at school, I think. That's, I used to that play. That sounds it. so dangerous as well. Like yeah, the ball looks hard. <laughs> no. um, but there's another version where you can use sticks as well, which looks <laughs> yeah, absolutely like mad. Trying to eat soup with a fork. Yeah, <laughs> like 
It just it just looks crazy. And then the other popular sport down there at, at that time would have been bullfighting. Um, so they're not really natural rugby players, but sports big in the area. There's a lot of athletes, and there's this sports club, as I say, called Laviron Bayonnaise, which means literally the bayonet, the bayon or. So it's a rowing club, uh, and it, it it's pretty synonymous with rowing, as you can probably tell by the name, the bayon or. That's its specialism. And they've only recently, maybe in a, a few years beforehand, started even playing rugby. And it's not because it's a priority. It's just to keep their athletes fit during the winter. Um, some of the local schools were playing it, and it, it seemed to be quite popular. Um, so some of the officials have, have started to, to sort of show a bit of an interest. And they can see that there's, there's, some, pop, there's some popularity in rugby. And also, with that, maybe some commercial benefits too. I think also at the time, there is a sense that sports like rugby and, you know, these tough sports actually fit together with this narrative of, um, I think it's called muscular Christianity. Now, I don't know how much that was in play in France, but certainly in in a lot of Western Europe, there was this sense that there was uh, something to do with the macho side of sport and the purity that rugby fitted very well into. So, you know, the togetherness, the camaraderie, but also this um, self-improvement and this, like, bit building your muscles. Mm. It's quite a... It's not a new thing, but it certainly fits in with that kind of narrative. So you see when a sport like rugby comes along... You do question why some countries play rugby (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't kind of fit in. But in the context of this wider kind of, you know, um, religious um, push as well at this, you know, in the late 19th century uh, onwards, that definitely fits in with the narrative. So certainly I can't say whether it fits in with this specifically, but it would go and fit in with some sort of thing. I'd definitely love to hear from any of our uh, listeners who are better qualified in terms of muscular Christians. It could well be. I I don't know. Um, But certainly, as I say, the the sports club had had basically a bit of a, a festival of sport. They'd, and it had culminated in a game against some local students who were playing rugby with their schools uh, against some of these rowers. And um, it had drawn in a really big crowd. So the officials are, are quite interested in making a bit of a push for the Bayon Sports Club to, to really sort of get into rugby. And at this time, as I say, there's, they've got no history of, of really playing rugby. Um, the rugby league, uh, the rugby uh, ladder, not rugby league. That's a different sport. <laughs> um, the, 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 the table. The table yeah. is dominated by the Parisian sides, who really are all built on power, strength, and um, you know being being really physically tough. Harry Owen Rowe has come over with his good mate Jules Fogg, and the officials at Bayon Club want to get him on board. They they think this guy is hot. He's going to sort sort us out and make us a real rugby force. When you say he's hot, is he like muscular Christian hot? Yeah. <laughs> Stop trying to make that connection. I've said nothing about muscular Christianity. <laughs> um, so they're trying to bring him on as a player coach. But there's rules against hiring professional players. And that's where the connection between the two towns come in. You know, there's these industrial connections 
one of his best friends is from the area. Um, so he becomes a shipping clerk in the area, sending over the pine from Bayonne um, and coal from Wales. And it's, it's symbiotic in the relationship. So he's able to get work down there. The officials help him out with that. Um, and he starts working, not working. Um, so at this point, obviously, the sport is completely amateur and yes. certainly going to another country to play is kind of, there's no big transfer fee involved. No, no, It's just all. you basically got to get a job from your mate on, uh, on the side. And Well, that's it. The officials really wanted him because he had this great reputation from Wales um, and he played well against them. But, you know, the, the idea of going over there to, to do this without a job was was pretty difficult and that's why as i say is is his good mate jules was so influential in sort of getting this deal done and convincing him to move to a country where i'm not sure how well he would have spoken the language uh, maybe he picked up a little bit from his mate but you know he hadn't lived there it's it's a big move and it would have been very very culturally different as well in in many respects in terms of food in terms of your day-to-day in terms of language mm. in terms of etiquette all of the, these things that you know it, it that back then it's not like you could just google on TripAdvisor or something and find it. yeah exactly <laughs> it's, it's yeah. so hard to adjust to life there so it's well, very adventurous and exotic it. yeah well he, he he's gone over there and um this is this is sort of around uh, 1911, I think, um, or 1910. I think 1911 when he actually sort of starts working there, um, and he brings over a book called The Modern Rugby Game, which had been written by a famous Welsh Welsh international called Gwyn Nichols, um, and it's a bit of a he's using that as a coaching guide, and as I say, at this time the dominant teams in France were all about strength and power. Um, rooks, malls, those kind of things. You know, getting the ball in and just charging forward, um, kicking it if if you had to. Um, but Harry Owen Rowe and what had been popular in Wales, what what really inspired Harry Owen Rowe was was all about passing. You know, using your hands, um, trying to avoid the rooks and the malls, and and playing a much more skillful game, um, a much more expansive game, and probably a much much more risky game as well, you know, far more attacking, far more creative, um, and, and less about the, you know, the brawn, more about maybe the brain, if you like. So it's this all almost becomes by, if you manage to institute that, you create a more inclusive game because you can have smaller, faster players exactly. who become much more valuable, whereas if it's all about the muscle, then you're going to just pick all the big lads. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly, it. yeah. Um, so by 1913, the, the Bayonne team is now centered around uh, Harry Owen Rowe and, and these three brothers, um, Jules Forge and his, his two brothers, Fernand and Charles. Um, Fernand actually ends up going on to Captain France uh, later in his life. Um, and yeah, by, in 1912, Harry Owen Rowe uh, was the record try scorer um, in the league. Uh, I think he, he was the all-time record try scorer at that time. Nobody had ever scored so many. And in 1913, uh, Bayonne win the league for the first time uh, by a 30-point margin. Um. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just mention it in case. <laughs> 
we've we've booked a different studio as well for this episode and a motorbike's just driven past. We we had the cleaner in the last studio and now we've got motorbikes. It's so professional. It's isn't so it? good. We may as well just we may as well just go and record this in a sawmill. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Um so yeah, so Rose finished as the, the league top scorer. Bayon have won the league. And yeah, he's taken this team from nowhere, a, a rowing team, to the champions of France in, in like two years. Um, and he's completely revolutionized the sport. To, to even today, you know, when you think of French rugby and the style of it, it's all about those qualities and values that he built his Bayon team on. It's all about passing, high risk, attractive, expansive rugby. Um, and that costs them quite a lot, you know, at tournaments even till today. Uh, so almost this stereotypical what we think of as French rugby playing, and mm. also kind of the the nonchalance of of the playing, and it would possibly lead to soccer and well. the joy is actually Welsh. Yes, how good this is, is extraordinary. Like it's amazing when a player uh, goes and influences in terms of you know uh, they go to a club. And they have a good season or a good two seasons, or even some players in some cases have a, a great decade at a club, and then they leave, and that that's it, they're gone. Yeah. But here's someone who's bloody instituted the the foundations for the modern game. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just at his club, as I say. It's it's pretty much you know it, it ripples throughout the whole league, and um, I mean the the unfortunately the first world war then comes along. And five of that league-winning side were killed. So it, it, it's sort of not until 1934 that, that Bayonne are able to, to lift the title again. Hold on, I've just clicked. Do, do they make bayonets? Is That's where the bayonet is from. Must be from Bayonne, mustn't it? It might be. Because iron, Ironworks, close by. Could be. It didn't come up during my research for this rugby story, surprisingly. <laughs> How about muscular Christianity? <laughs> Again, <laughs> you never See, know. You if go- you're, in- you're Googling the wrong things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it, it, as I say, it's a little while before Bayon uh, returned to the top, but it, it ends well for Harry Owen Rowe. He stays at the, at the club for, for a while and uh, ends up marrying a girl from Bayon, settles in the area, and he ended up dying there, uh, age 76. Um, and right now, he, even to this day, there's, he's actually featured in a stained glass window in the church where he's buried. Wow. And uh, yeah, as you said at the very beginning, um, there is a street in Bayonne, which is Harry o- Rue de Harry Owen Row. Wow. Which is Harry Owen Row Street in English. So yeah, Rue de Harry Owen Row. And that's where the Bayonne Stadium is. So the current Bayonne Stadium is number one, Harry Owen Row Street. How good is that? That is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that I haven't heard this story before, and presumably there'd be people in Wales who are very proud of this, but it doesn't seem to be a story that's it's, very well known. It, it it honestly isn't. It's it's not very well known. I, c- I came to know it uh, through a great friend of mine, Greg Harris, who actually uh, wrote a screenplay on it and went to live in Bayonne and uh, did loads of research on it, and... Um, yeah, he's, he sort of came back and, and told me the story, and now I'm telling it to you and all our listeners. Well, um, look, I suppose... So thank you, Greg, <laughs> <laughs> for going to France and doing that research. <laughs> <laughs> Saved me the trouble. Yeah, thanks, Greg. 
it was good for an episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's ex- an extraordinary story and truly one of a kind. We we will undoubtedly uncover other very influential people, but someone who sets the basis and the tempo for a, a whole sport. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't and it? also helps popularize it as well at a Absolutely. time when it wasn't anything yeah. in France. It's extraordinary. They were just throwing a ball against a wall. <laughs> Playing with sticks and a wall yeah. and a ball. And balls occasionally. Yeah, and rowing. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what um, French men in that region used for fishing? Is this a joke? They used a bayonet. <laughs> I don't get it. I'm sure it's because it is it because it's terrible. Is there a pun? No, I, I'm really not going to explain it. So thanks for listening <laughs> to the Wheel of Sword. Thanks so much. Home of the greatest jokes ever told. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening, and make sure you write a review on wherever you get your podcast. But iTunes would be great. Uh, it does really make a difference and helps other people find it. And please send the episodes to your friends. Uh, you can also go on our website as well, which is through Pippa, the podcast provider, which has all the episodes. So regardless of whether you've got a device or a phone or anything, you can send that link. Uh, even your granny can listen. So... <laughs> Mine does. That's why I said it. <laughs> Hi, Grant. Hi, Dada. <laughs> and um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Wheel of Sport. And we look forward to bringing you another great story next time. Thanks, Matt. That was great. Thank you so much, Ian. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>